We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Rotowire NBA podcast. It is Wednesday, July 26th. I am Nick Whalen. And I'm joined by a special guest today. He is Carter Rodriguez, an editor and writer at Fear the Sword. That's SB Nation's Cleveland Cavaliers blog. We discuss the Kyrie situation, the future of the Cavs, LeBron's possible departure, Cleveland's new uniforms, and a whole lot more. It's a lot of fun. Really appreciate Carter taking the time. So without further ado, let's get to it. All right, on the line we have Carter Rodriguez, an editor at Fear the Sword of SB Nation, also co-host of the Chase Down podcast. Carter, appreciate you taking the time out of your Wednesday morning to join me. Oh, no problem. It's my day off. I'm ready to uh, to spend all day diving into what a disaster the Cavs are. So let's get started. Uh, I found out earlier today that it's actually Delonte West's 34th birthday. So, so I guess it's fitting that we're going to talk about the Cleveland Cavaliers tire fire today. Uh, but Listen, before, I, I will accept no Delonte West slander. He's my favorite role player of the uh, of the first LeBron era. Him and Booby Gibson. See, I, so. I had a whole segment planned on on role players of that era of the Cavs. We'll get into that later. Okay, but there's, there's okay, so sorry. so many to choose from. The, the revolving door, <clears throat> excuse me, of of backup point guards and shooting guards from from '04 through about '08. Uh, was a little ridiculous. But before we get into all the big news surrounding the Cleveland Cavaliers uh, and a certain point guard, 
Uh, I wanted to just do a little bit of background on you. So like I said, you're an editor at Fear the Sword. That's the Cleveland Cavaliers blog on the SB Nation network. If you're a member of basketball Twitter listening to this, you probably know who Carter is. Um, But how long have you been with Fear the Sword in any capacity, whether that be as a writer, podcaster, editor, uh, etc.? I started at Fear the Sword about three years ago. Um, Had blogged in the past for a couple other websites and started to kind of get the etch again. And Fear the Sword's been just a perfect fit. Uh, They they like to talk about basketball the way I like to talk about basketball, which is... uh, Try to be smart, but don't take yourself too freaking seriously because it's all a stupid game anyway. So, uh, yeah, I've been there three years. I've been an editor for about a year and a half now. And, uh, yeah, it's a great place and it's a great community for Cavs uh, people to, uh, follow their, uh, for, to follow their favorite team. I think you guys have done a good job of kind of striking that medium between, like you said, having a lot of fun, making a lot of jokes. I mean, a lot of the writers on your staff are are well known throughout the basketball Twitter community for not being overly serious, but at the same time, still maintaining, you know, credibility where you can make these jokes, uh, but then you can turn around five minutes later and offer, you know, real analysis and people actually take you guys seriously. Do you you think that's the kind of the niche that you guys have been trying to carve out? I'd like to say that we're dumb, but we're not stupid. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's that's a good man. I think that's the best way to put it. We we make a lot of dumb jokes that we're we, we're tickled with, but then we also uh, pride ourselves on actually putting together a good product when we do post uh, that stuff that actually matters. But we can just as easily post a, uh, a change.org petition to try to get Kevin Love credited for an assist when LeBron misses his dunk on a on a full court <laughs> dime. So I'm was that uh, successful. I, I, uh, I think I got up to like 800 signatures, which honestly is pretty good. Uh, the uh, NBA did not respond to my request, really? but That's surprising. nonetheless, 800 signatures That's a are, lot. Yeah, yeah. I I felt pretty freaking good about it. About a stupid idea that I came up with at three in the morning after work one day. So, how long have you been a Cavs fan? Did you grow up in the Cleveland area? I'm from Columbus originally. Okay. Um, my parents don't really like sports all that much. So like any kid, I was kind of a Jordan fan till I was like eight or so and he retired. And then I kind of stopped paying attention. I started paying attention to the Cavs about 2000, 2001, the Ricky Davis, um, DeWan Wagner era. And uh, then uh, the luckiest franchise in NBA history happened to stumble into perhaps the greatest player of all time being born in Akron, Ohio and winning a draft lottery. And it's mostly been pretty fun actually <laughs> since. Yeah. Yeah. It has. So you're from a couple Columbus. bumps, but it's mostly been fun. You're from Columbus. Did you go to Ohio state? Please say you didn't go to Ohio state. I'm an Ohio university oh, Bobcat. Nick. Okay. okay that's go totally, ahead. that's totally acceptable. I'm a Wisconsin guy. So I've, I always, yeah, I kind of grew up liking Ohio state. I was a big Terrell Pryor guy, as I'm sure you were, um you know i guess probably about a decade ago at this point well by the time terrell Pryor was there i I was already going to ou and like dealing with like little brother syndrome so i went through (laughs) a real osu hater phase now i'm back to just like vague support just because it'll make my friends happy i think people like when when another team is really good they that all their friends like they go one of two ways they either just hate that team or they're like "Ah, i hope they do well my friends will be happy Uh, i'm on the latter uh, the latter half of that. So I, I don't root against OSU anymore unless the narrative is just too juicy. <laughs> so that that's how it works in Ohio. If you go to the University of Ohio, 
you're trained to hate Ohio State and, and I assume vice versa if you go to Ohio State like oh no it's like Ohio State doesn't really care about us we're just like okay. little we're like little brothers uh in like a major way uh they think that their school is like an Ivy League school because they have an okay med school it's ridiculous um but yeah I mean we're the party school we're the <laughs> we we're the fuck ups to some oh sorry I I this is a rotowire podcast I can't curse we, we can um, that up Okay, thank you. Uh, we we mess up a lot, and we uh, we mostly just get super hammered and have big block parties and stuff. But we also have a very good journalism program, and that's what I went there for. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's not really too. I mean, most most OU fans like. Here's a dirty little secret about the the Mid American Conference. Uh, a lot of people that go to Mid American Conference schools still just a root for the big schools because they know their team's never going to win anything. Yeah, I think that's how it is in, in Wisconsin as well. I mean, we don't have the, you know, the, the Mac type of schools that Ohio kind of has scattered throughout the state. But like, if, if you go to UW-Milwaukee, you still root for Wisconsin football on Saturday. Yeah. It's mostly because there's really not another option. I think Mar- uh, Marquette in Wisconsin is kind of the only mini rivalry, and that pretty much is limited uh, to the basketball court. Um, yeah, I mean, that's and in fairness. Like, I mean, we have good basketball fans, and like we went to the Sweet 16 my junior year, so like it's not that people don't care at all, but like there is a not insignificant portion of like lifelong Buckeye fans that are just like, yeah, I'm still going to like the Buckeyes and watch them on Saturdays, which whatever I used to annoy me. And now I grew up and realized it doesn't matter. It's just stupid game. Are there any Ohio university alums currently in the NBA? I don't know. Um, there was Maurice and door on the uh, Knicks, of course. Uh, but he has uh, since uh, been cut in the post Phil Jackson era back. Uh, we'll see. Um, he's, uh, yeah, he, he's, he was our first standard bearer, I think since Gary Trent. Mm. Uh, but yeah, so we're, we're, we're a mid American school through and through. We don't really get a lot of NBA prospects. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's enough Mac talk, uh, for the first five minutes of the podcast. So this isn't the, the roto wire, uh, Mac, Mac East pod. You know, we've we've kicked around the idea of maybe doing a, a Tuesday night Maction podcast. But oh that's hell yeah, works. I, I think if not be... just for the gamblers, no, just for no, the degenerates. No, no. no coming twenty nineteen. Um, so every time we have anyone related to the Cavs on this podcast, uh, I have to ask: take me through how you felt uh, when one LeBron Raymon James left Cleveland in 2010 um you know obviously me being being in wisconsin at the time the, the reaction here was probably quite a bit different than it was as someone who you know in, in your case was a big Cavs fan grew up in the area how did you personally react were you burning jerseys did you understand did you try to remain a little more objective than the people that we saw you know plastered all over sports center that week let me tell you a sad little tale of a 20 year old okay. uh co- college student that was working at dairy queen in the summer to make a little cash to bring back to school. He was on break in, in, a, in a break room with a barely functioning television, and he watched LeBron break his heart while he ate a chicken, tent, chicken strip basket on his break, and then he had to go back to work with his head hung mm. for the rest of the day. I was just sad. A lot of people, when, they, when bad stuff happens with their sports teams, they get like super pissed. Like They throw their remote at their TV and stuff. I just get like bummed out. It's not <laughs> funny or cool. I'm just like, this sucks. <laughs> so like, that's what I did. I, just, I was working at Dairy Queen. I watched it on break. I took my break to watch. He said it. As soon as he said, uh, I'm taking my talents to South Beach, that was pretty much the end of my break. 
So I just trudged back to work and made blizzards and milkshakes. <laughs> do you do you remember how you felt uh, about the chances that he would stay leading up to the decision? Because I mean, this is the summer of 2010. So I mean, Twitter's around, but yeah, Twitter, I didn't have a Twitter yet. You know, right, uh, neither did I. And NBA Twitter was not nearly what it is now, or, or even was you know two or three years later. So like, I don't really remember you know, having these reports that, oh, he's going to do this. Like now, if if a player called, you know, a prime time, essentially a news conference for himself to make a decision, we would know what the decision is before it's announced on TV. That's just how things work. Back then... And in fairness, I mean, Broussard did break it. I remember that. Did Broussard he? Okay, was like so saying... Yeah, he was like saying that he's going to Miami, like officially. Um, and everyone just laughed it off because right. Broussard. Exactly. But yeah, I mean, I was... You know, I thought he was probably going to stay because I was naive, <laughs> you know, like it was like the, oh, he said he, he said he want he, his goal was to win a championship in Cleveland and he didn't. So he's going to say, yeah, you just, you're no, an idiot. Sure. Uh, everyone who, every time I look back at a younger version of myself, I think, man, I was pretty dumb then. And then I worry that I'm probably still dumb. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just getting like one percent less dumb every year but like the still still like the net the net intelligence is not high enough we'll we'll see uh yeah i mean for this time i'm a little more prepared uh for heartbreak but then i was pretty i don't know if i was blindsided but i was not i did not get the words i was expecting Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i was pretty much objective at that point i've I've always been a big supporter uh, of lebron james personally so i mean i was kind of more than happy after it was clear that he wasn't going to sign with the Bucks, I'd kind of come to terms with that, and and I was prepared to to follow him to Miami. Um, but but at the same time, like I don't I don't really remember at the time thinking that Miami was as realistic of an option as all of a sudden it was when he said it. You're, you know, because at the time nobody there really wasn't much of a precedent for two players, you know, like him and Bosch just going to sign with Dwayne Wade. You know, we had seen the Boston. Uh, the way that that team had come together a couple of years earlier, but that was via trade. Um, and it was just totally unprecedented the way that that team came together. Fast forward five, six years, and now it seems like that's really the only way you can build a contending team. To you, does it seem like that stigma of superstars teaming up and, you know, whatever is lost when a superstar does that? You know, LeBron got the treatment in 2010 that, you know, he's he's prioritizing his legacy over whatever he owes to Cleveland or whatever he's supposed to accomplish individually. Durant basically got the same backlash this past summer. It feels like now that that's kind of worn off. Do you think that the Warriors and just how dominant they are and how how that team came together has kind of washed away uh, whatever guilt, you know, fans have tried to throw at players for teaming up? I don't know. Uh, I think people are always going to do that. And players are always going to be like well i, I want to win titles mm-hmm. so that's the best way to do it i do think like we've gotten a little too black and white in terms of, well first off like no one with half a brain is arguing that kevin durant shouldn't have been able to choose where he wanted to go right and i'm kind of just not interested in even engaging that it's just not interesting to me that like that discussion because like duh um you know i think it's all about like what now, I think discussing the implications for the viewing public, like how fun it is to watch basketball if the Warriors are that good, that's interesting to me, you know, uh, if that's good. But I don't think less or more of the player. Um, I guess, you know, I, I kind of, when he was considering his decision, Durant, um, I kind of, my party line was like, 
I'm going to like think like really highly of how competitive he is if he decides to stay, but I won't think less of his competitiveness if he goes. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, th- I think it's, you know, like I was kind making, of conflicted on this. Giving as well. yourself a harder road is, which sure. is what OKC would have been, is admirable in its own way. It's just not necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I just think it's more institutional. Like, if the NBA didn't really want that to happen, then they shouldn't right. have had uh, an enormous cap spike. They should have figured out a way to avoid that, or they should have. You know, it, there's ways to have not let this team happen, but it's, it happened. So. I don't know. I just I'm kind of just kind of burned out on the super team talk. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's always been super teams. There's probably a limit to how good a team should be. Like cuz there are the people, you know, the Warriors people who are just like, "Oh, well, you know, no everyone thought every super team ever put together would be invincible. Then it turns out they weren't." And it's like, "Well, they weren't they never had like four top 20 right. players." <laughs> like it's different. Mm-hmm. You can't pretend it's the same. Uh, there's definitely a breaking point. Like, if LeBron signed there for the minimum next summer, then, yeah, I think that'd probably be overkill. Like, is right. the, there is a point of overkill here. Um, but, yeah, I, I do think the Warriors have their vulnerabilities, and the Cavs certainly have their vulnerabilities. So uh, I think that this will probably be resolved soon. But if it's not, oh, well, we're all addicts anyway. It's The people who argue about it are the people who watch... 300 NBA games a year, no matter what, mm-hmm. because we're we're hooked. Right. Well, I, I think you kind of hit on this, too. The, the difference between Golden State and some of these other super teams or supposed super teams that came before them is that Golden State is, has this air of invincibility. And I think this is what the Miami team was supposed to be in 2010. And granted, you know, they won two titles. They went to four NBA finals. It's not like that was a failure by any means. But that, they were a super team, but at the same time, you felt that there were two, three, maybe four other teams in the league at any given time that could really push them. With Golden State, we see a team in Cleveland that, I mean, in my opinion, these last two Cavs teams are close to as good, if not better, than some of those teams LeBron had in Miami. You know, And if they came along in just about any other era, would be the title favorite by a pretty good margin. We're seeing that team come up glaringly short in the NBA Finals against the Warriors. To me, the only issue with this team is that you do risk that you know that perception that they're not beatable, even if you put together these other super teams that you know again in any other era w- would be you know the best in the league. Yeah, I mean it sucks. That's not fair, but <laughs> that's life, right? It like, is. It is. You know, uh, look at how many teams might have won a title in the '90s had mm-hmm. the Bulls not had Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and right. Dennis Rodman. Like that's ridiculous. Exactly. Um, it's just that it, it happens. Uh, and sometimes teams win titles in weak eras or when teams aren't quite ready yet. And that's life, you know, and that's why you kind of I mean, you laid out a pretty fair reason why we probably shouldn't be too worried about the hashtag rings debate. Right. Right. Like it's it's so you're so bound in a victim of circumstance. And. You know, there's just nothing to be done about that. <laughs> like, like LeBron couldn't help that his teams just weren't all that talented for the first 10 years of his career or the first seven years of his career. Uh, maybe he would have a title earlier if he had gotten Scottie Pippen two years into his career. Uh, maybe he'd have three more titles. Maybe Kyrie isn't even considering leaving if uh, if the Warriors don't come along and they're just playing like the Spurs and Clippers in the finals. 
Um, but that's what happens. And, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't help to, to worry about it. You just build the best team you can try to win. And, uh, sometimes you won't and that sucks, but who cares? (laughs) All right. So let's get into the Kyrie stuff. Uh, obviously we have to address that as someone who follows this team, excuse me, follows this team as closely as just about everyone. How surprised were you last Friday when this Kyrie news broke seemingly out of nowhere? Oh, I was stunned. I, you know, I, I, that's what's been kind of blown me away. Like outside of a couple of reporters that are like, yeah, we've heard some rumblings. Like, like Lowe has kind of said like, right. Oh yeah, there's some, rumors. like, I'm not saying I'm like super plugged into the world. Like I have, I don't have a lot of primary sources here. It's mostly like people who know people that tell me some stuff, but I hadn't heard a thing about this. Um, so I, I mean, I was, I was, shocked and uh you know Kyrie's one of I'm wearing a Kyrie t-shirt right now one of my favorite (laughs) players um to watch so it's it's a bummer uh this is a team that won won the first title of my uh my life of my favorite teams uh so I think I'll always have kind of a a genuine affection for all the guys on the roster except Iman Shumpert because I just hate him so I'm, but, I'm with you there. I, I yeah. fiercely defended Iman Shumpert for, for many years. Um, I mean, he was good two years ago, I thought, or, or at least passable uh, on both ends. But yeah, this past season, especially in the playoffs, he was brutal to watch. Yeah, he's not very good at basketball. No, he's just not. Um, so what direction, as a Cavs fan, do you want this team to take? Um, I mean, I, I think you know the one of the narratives that has emerged over the last couple of days is hey, Kyrie's got two more years on his contract. He doesn't have a no-trade clause. He doesn't get to pick where he goes. The Cavs don't have to trade him. They're not forced to get rid of him before you know, October 15th or whatever date the season's going to start this year. What if they just hold on to him? Is that an option to you that, that seems realistic whatsoever, or is the way that this is already blown up in the media kind of made that more of a pipe dream that, that sounds much better on paper than it actually would be in execution? Um. I think to me, I'm going to get as much as many short term assets as I can right now. I'm I'm burning the house down. Next. One more year, of LeBron. Uh, yeah, we got one more year, of LeBron. Might as well try to get him to stay if, if you can. Um, and you just might as well do it. Like who? Like this? Because Dan Gilbert is such an unstable owner, and you can talk to anyone who is a fan of a team that has a bad meddling unstable owner and in any sport not just the nba and they'll tell you that success is typically fleeting it is not ever stable and it's very based in luck this is a team that would probably be the new york knicks if not for lebron james except less relevant because they're just in cleveland um they've bungled just about everything they did after lebron left they've made quite a few like they've clearly been in a state of flux since he returned and my best guess is that uh, if he decides to leave again they will go back to the wasteland they were while he was gone um it took a profound amount of luck for this team to eventually win a title uh not saying that they didn't earn it not saying Kyrie wasn't a good pick not saying tt wasn't a good pick but a lot of things had to go right for them to win a title so i'm trying to keep lebron around if i can and if it doesn't work you know what you tried and 
they have they have given out some first round picks. They don't have their twenty nineteen, their twenty eighteen or twenty twenty pick, um, is my understanding. I think. Don't no, don't that, that lock me into right. that. I always just assume that but, whatever team LeBron's on just yeah. doesn't have its picks. Yeah, but both those picks are top ten protected. Uh, David Griffin's final little gift to us before he left. So, if LeBron leaves, just get ready to blow it all up. Um, so if they if they can if they can either convince Kyrie to stick around uh, and and work this out, have a little powwow, come to Jesus meeting, or they trade him for good players that help right now, I'm fine with that. I'm just not super interested in the you know the two unprotected first round right. picks two years from now. Um, I just don't trust the organization to really handle that very well at this point, and I just rather try to extend LeBron's run as much as possible. Were you surprised at all when LeBron came out at, I don't know if it was earlier this week or over the weekend and said that he won't waive the no trade clause? Not not that Cleveland was in, by any means rushing to trade LeBron, but in that scenario that you just mentioned where maybe they would flip Kyrie for you know a really young player and a couple of future draft picks uh, and the team would obviously take a step back next season from a talent standpoint and in that case you know maybe LeBron wouldn't want to be a part of that as, as somebody who's been in the finals for seven straight years. I mean, do you believe him that he's fully committed to this team, even if it only means for one more year? Yeah, I think he's committed for this next year. I think he knows he's got another shot at the mm-hmm. finals. Um, and I don't really think he knows what he wants to do yet, all the way. I agree. I, I think that people people who hear things like to pretend like they're primary sources and that they that they really, really know what's going on. I, I think he's still thinking about it. Um, I don't think that it's such an obvious move to go to LA like that team is not very good he'd definitely be taking a worse basketball situation on um, and not in a way that it was like with the heat where he knew Dwayne Wade was falling apart like Kyrie's still 25 loves only like 27 or 28 like this team is still intact for the most part uh, even and if they trade Kyrie for you know good pieces then you know I ideally if they fetch a good return from the Cavs aren't in such a worse situation so it's not like an easy basketball answer to go to L.A. And I think he's thinking about it. So for him to waive his no trade clause and kind of remove his agency from this, that seems like a mistake. And obviously the only team he'd go to in this hypothetical would be the L.A. Lakers anyway. So I think if he were to waive his no trade clause, it's because he has completely given up on the Cavs and just wants to get max money from the Lakers that you get when, you, when a team has your bird rights. Do but you think, I, oh, I, ahead, I, I, yeah, I, I, I makes sense to me. Uh, it's, it was weird that they released it. I was trying to figure out kind of the, maybe it was a little bit of a spin zone for PR sake. Um, right. Uh, why they would have leaked that to Rich Paul. They were obviously, or, or they, his camp clearly leaked that to uh, Chris Haynes. Sorry. Who did the report? Um, it does, you know, beg the question of what they were trying to do that the language in it was very, very careful though, in that report that to say that this was not a commitment longer than one year. Uh, he will fulfill his contractual obligations, things like that. So we'll see what happens. Uh, it's, it's kind of a weird situation. And that was a, that was a move that's kind of hard to parse through. Yeah. You mentioned the dysfunction that has plagued this Cavs organization dating back to LeBron's first tenure with the team, but focusing on these last few years since he's been back, is some of the dysfunction, obviously a lot of it falls on, on uh, Dan Gilbert, um, but is some of it 
can, can some of it be pointed at LeBron? Um, not not for the way that he's perceived to be putting this team together, you know, behind the scenes, uh, you know, as the quote unquote GM, but the fact that he's basically been committing to this team uh, on one year deals, one year at a time, has that in some ways kind of hamstrung what they've been trying to do as far as building this team for the future? Uh, yeah, but it uh, so the way I like to the way I've been talking about it uh, is that. LeBron has choices, and those choices have consequences. There's not a matter of assigning blame. It's not a matter of, like, LeBron should have done this because each choice he he can make with regards to his commitment to the team kind of has its own natural fallout, right? Like, if he chooses part of the benefits of these one-and-plus-one deals he's been signing is that Dan Gilbert can't start skimping. He has to keep spending or risk angering LeBron and scaring him off. It's it's a leverage play for LeBron and for the team. But at the same time, another the consequences of him doing that are that there's a lack of stability. There's a sense that the the franchise could be upended at any moment. And I think that goes down to the players, especially as this LeBron to LA talk is intensified and Richard Jefferson was saying that on the pod, like with that looming all year, it's not easy for the team. Um, so, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what they do. But I, I, I guess I'm just like a little careful about using the word blame or like assigning like, you know, like attacking LeBron because it's just this is just an outcome of his decision. Right. And right. no matter what choice he makes, there are positive and negative outcomes. And this is kind of just manifesting as a negative one but i mean if he's leaving then what you know what do you want guys to do it's like it's hard to it's hard to make a call here but uh the the Kyrie leak has been really interesting though because a big part of it's been like saying that he doesn't want to play with lebron and then the other that's been the most reported angles that he doesn't want to play with lebron anymore but that doesn't jive with lebron might be leaving so that's why he's leaving Right, I, I agree with that. I was going to bring that up as well. Like, is that how much do they, you buy into yeah, that narrative? I don't know. Uh, I you know I'm not. I don't know LeBron James, or I don't know LeBron. I don't know Kyrie very well. Or uh, you know, I just know them as well as you do. Really, you see it from the outside. Uh, I know that Kyrie's best friend and mentor is Kobe Bryant, who probably has been telling Kyrie that he can be his own man on a different team, and I'm sure. Uh, it's easy to chafe at LeBron after playing with him for four years because he or three years because he is uh, very demanding, very difficult sometimes. But so is Kyrie. So I think there is some truth to that. I mean, the LeBron's leaving uh, the the angle that he requested this because he thinks LeBron's leaving makes the least sense to me because when, just yeah, wouldn't wait. you just inherit the team then? Yeah, just wait. Right. Um, wait one year, go to the finals one more time, and then wait. Uh, but. Uh, it's clearly a cocktail of really weird issues, and it's uh, it's really hard to get a read on, even if you're absorbing the story as closely and as thoroughly as I am. Yeah, well, one thing a lot of people have pointed out, too, is that there's a narrative that Kyrie wants his own team, but then he provides this list of preferred destinations, and on that list is Minnesota, where Jimmy Butler plays, and Carl Towns plays, and Andrew Wiggins plays, and San Antonio, which has Kawhi Leonard, and, you know, so that's three or four players who are close to Kyrie's level a couple of them you would probably argue in Kawhi and Towns are better than Kyrie and then some people would probably make the case that Jimmy Butler is better than Kyrie 
to me that there I don't know that Kyrie necessarily wants to get away from LeBron but I think that LeBron as a star is on such another level from even a guy like Kawhi who, who's right there in terms of talent just in terms of you know all the media attention he brings just the the orbit uh, that is LeBron James and and how he kind of controls that organization like from the outside it's, it's kind of easy for me to see why Kyrie could maybe be frustrated with sure. the amount of influence that that LeBron has on a franchise yeah no I get it um uh it makes sense to kind of want to strike out on your own but this is uh, you know, I, I, I'm not anti-Kyrie by any means, but this is unprecedented. It like, is. we've never seen a player this good on a team this good just be like, nah, <laughs> I don't want to do it anymore. I mean, I, I think I saw the reports that even after they won the 2016 title, he was, like, considering it. Right. I just think Kyrie's kind of an odd dude. Like, you kind of get that vibe when you listen to him on podcasts. You know, yes. you hear the flat earth thing. Did, didn't he say um, recently that he wants to start some sort of, like, self-sustaining Yeah, commune? he's been saying that on, like, like a lot. That. That's not something that just comes up. I like to say that Kyrie is, like, the, the college student that went to his first sociology class yes. and now thinks he understands the world. <laughs> That's very, very accurate. He is exhausting with that stuff, man. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's cool, hey, though. I mean, honestly, I mean, I, I think it's cool. it's better than that or than, you know, the stereotypical you know, athlete, athlete that doesn't the care athlete speak that you get like, yeah, I would, oh, I would man. like to discuss this. I almost prefer the athlete speak. <laughs> okay, I mean, maybe as a Cavs fan. I'm sure. I, I am. So I there are a few people that uh, that annoy me more than someone who's pretty sure they're smarter than you talking to you. Yeah. <laughs> and like it's like making it clear they think they're smarter than mm-hmm. you. Oh, but anyway, you know, he's like an odd dude, uh, you know, it, and this is what's kind of funny. And this is why you can't where we speak in absolutes so much in media about like what's going to happen, how long a team will stay together, who will who how a team will fit. It's like sometimes people are weird and there and there are weird variables that you just can't prepare for. Yeah, I, I think this is certainly one of those cases. Like I said, I mean, the list of teams. Well, one, the fact that he provided a list of teams as a guy who has two years left on his contract and doesn't have a no-trade clause, I thought was odd. Um, I, and it's clear now, I think, that Kyrie didn't necessarily want this to get out. Like By providing a list of teams, he in some ways you know, conceivably knocked down his value because there, there's this belief now that if you're not one of those four teams, he wants to re-sign with one of the teams that he listed. Um, but I, I don't. do you really see that as Kyrie or Kyrie's team you know, attempting to to lose leverage for the Cavs in this situation, or was it just they wanted to make this private? It got out, however, it yeah, did, and and the narrative has kind of been run with. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's a really weird choice because a lot of people have like Woj in his like annual hit column on LeBron because he hates <laughs> LeBron. Like basically, wrote like LeBron like paved the way for Kyrie to do this by like asserting his own agency and stuff. But it's weird because. If this is an assert your own agency thing, it's just like Kyrie's taking agency out of LeBron's hands, who, you know, wants to be the chess master and putting it in the the, the team's hands like he can't really control where he goes. Uh, and two years of term on a contract is plenty for a team to be willing to take a rental um, because most teams are. Like they, if they believe in their culture, they'll trade for a guy like somewhere in like Denver would trade for Irving and say, "Hey, we've got a strong organizational culture now. We can convince this guy to stick around after two years, while we can also offer the most money." Right. I mean, um, Minnesota did yeah. the same thing with Butler yeah. too. Yeah. This isn't a one-year rental. Is my point. Uh, this uh, this is a long that 
the team that gets him will have a really, really good chance of keeping him. It still feels like the the best place for him to me is for him is New York because uh, I mean he clearly wants to be a superstar and wants to be on his own team. And you did mention that you know he would have to play with Kawhi, would have to play with Zinger, would have to play with Butler and Cat. I think that Justin Rowan, my podcast co-host, made a really good point. He, even though he wouldn't be the best player on some of these teams he has on his list, he still would be bringing the ball up. He'd be initiating the offense more often than not. Um, and I think that's what he wants more than anything. I think he wants the control of the offense. Um, well, I think he's, he, a, he's a stronger brand and a stronger personality than those guys, too. Yeah, he, he would definitely be the biggest name. Like, right. And, and on each team. Maybe Kawhi would be bigger still. I'm not sure. Um, but... He would definitely be he's a super duper star in terms of the public appeal. Like I'm he finished top five in jersey sales this year. His shoe is insanely popular. Uh so his stardom and his play are not necessarily aligned with one another. So I think going to a team that doesn't have LeBron on it, almost any scenario would have him be that team's most popular player. And it and it's probably standard bearer, other than the Spurs, because it's just pop. Um so I, I think that kind of angle gets a little overplayed so you mentioned the knicks uh, as a potential destination for Kyrie. what what are the other proposed deals that have that have been thrown out over the last week that appeal most to you whether it's something that would work well for the Cavs or something that would just be really fun to watch you know for Kyrie's perspective as a fan um you know i think that we've all seen zach lowe's uh trade idea column uh the the Eric Bledsoe, Josh Jackson, and maybe a pick was interesting, but the Suns apparently don't want to include Josh Jackson in deal. And to me, that just probably means they're not going to get Kyrie. Um, just based on the reporting that's coming out, the kind of how high the Cavs asking price is, and maybe that changes uh, as this drags on and they don't want to bring him to camp. But for now, I think they're going to ask a lot, and I think they're going to try to find a team that will give them a lot. Uh, the Eric, the Eric Bledsoe, I think makes sense as a replacement, uh, if for my win now strategy, but I think you just need to get a little more, uh, the nuggets, the, the deal that Lowe threw out there of, uh, Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, and Wilson Chandler and a pick that, that seems like a wild overpay for Denver. I don't know. I don't know about you, how you feel about that, I, but. I mean, I think it's a bit of an overpay. Yeah, I, I don't know if I'm quite as high on, on the, the Murray-Harris combination. Uh, I, I like them a lot, and I think they'd be really good fits in Cleveland and, and would obviously be upgrades uh, over Mr. Shumpert uh, at shooting guard. Um, but at the same it, time, like I don't know that either of those guys are like guaranteed all-stars. No, they're not. But I just think it leaves the cupboard so barren for Denver because they don't have any wings left. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they'd be Kyrie, Millsap, Jokic, and then like I think Will Barton would have to be the sp- starting small forward or shooting guard, yeah. and Wancho would have to be the small fo- the small forward. It's just they wouldn't have enough left. Like mm-hmm. even if you got Shumpert back, it's just not enough. So I, that seems like too much to me. I every time I, every time I I go looking at trades on the old trade machine, I just keep getting locked into the idea that I think it has to be a three teamer. Yep, I think so too. Because every time, because all of these potential deals of the potential suitors, they either go, so they'll have their their best offer on the table is probably an underpay for Kyrie. But then if you add just one more asset of worth, it suddenly becomes an overpay. Mm-hmm. 
Like there's not, I haven't found a deal that just strikes a healthy balance where one team isn't getting totally wrecked in the deal. So I think they probably need, it probably needs to be a scenario where Kyrie goes to a team that doesn't send a ton back for Kyrie, but then sends assets to somewhere else uh, that will then make it worth the Cavs while for those assets. I think that makes the most sense to me. One of the three-team deals that's been floated around involves the Knicks. So basically, the, the Cavs would end up with Eric Bledsoe and Carmelo Anthony. They would lose Kyrie, and then they would lose you know, maybe Channing Frye and or Shumpert if they can get somebody to take that deal. I don't know how realistic that actually is. It, it seems like it could be fairly realistic. Um, but if, if the Cavs can turn Kyrie Irving into Eric Bledsoe and Carmelo Anthony and keep Kevin Love who, you know, when it seemed earlier in the year they might have a chance at Mello, it, it sounded like they would have to give up Kevin Love. If you can turn Irving into Bledsoe and Mello, I think there's an argument that that team next year would be better than it was this past year. They could be. Um, the fit is a little odd, just having four big guys that play the 3, 4, and 5 right. um, in Love, LeBron, Tristan, and Mello. Uh, Bledsoe's definitely worse than Kyrie, and he can't shoot as nearly as well. Much better defender. Um, I think they'd be about as good, maybe a little bit better if that happened. And that, I mean, you know, I've, I've got wine and gold colored glasses on here. Uh, but I, I, that's still the deal that makes the most sense to me is because Phoenix is okay with getting younger mm-hmm. and you can, you can swing it. So New York sent, cause I think if New York gets Kyrie, there's pretty much no price that's too high because of the fact that. They have literally no avenue to a second star other than this. Well, I mean, they're not giving up Porzingis, right? No, no. They, they can't give up Porzingis because what's the point if you give right. up Porzingis? I mean, uh, I, think, I think they'd give up Tilakina to Phoenix if it came down yeah, to it. Yeah, I, if I'm the Knicks and, I'm, and I genuinely think that I would do this, I would, I would give up Tilakina, I'd give up a first, and I'd give up Hernan Gomez. I'd give up an enormous right. haul uh, for the right to Kyrie because – the difference between a team with one star uh, and a team with two stars is exponential. Like, Especially in the East. Yeah. And these guys are 25 and 23 in New York. Like, the Knicks are in cap hell anyway, so you could swing it. So you send those three young assets to Phoenix and absorb Tyson Chandler's contract. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're in cap hell anyway, so it doesn't matter for the next three years. It's all just about paying a bill. Um, and I think that that's enough to make it worth Phoenix's while to move on from Bledsoe. A first Tilakina, Hernan Gomez, and getting off Chandler's money and adding no long-term money. Other than that, I think that's a win-win win. Uh, but uh, you know, you'd have to ask Phoenix how much they value Eric Bledsoe. I think that's kind of the the crux of this. Right. Because if I'm the Knicks, I don't really think there's a I don't really think there's a deal for Kyrie. I, I don't consider outside of sending uh, Porzingis because I just don't think any of those guys matter <laughs> like right. in the grand scheme. And like you can find and New York is one of the rare teams that can afford to kind of overpay for that second star, knowing that there's a real chance that a third star comes on the market down the line once they can clear their cap sheet if they ever get their heads out of their butts uh, and go chase a third. Well, and the thing with New York, too, is, you know, it's not Milwaukee, it's not Minnesota, where there's this worry that 
you know, you're only getting Kyrie for two years. Yeah, you are keeping that guy forever. He's 25. You're keeping him. And and there's this hesitancy, and understandably so, to to give up future first-round picks, especially unprotected picks. But but at the same time, like, you have to look at it this way. Like, okay, we have, let's say we have Kyrie Irving for the next four to eight years. What are the chances that player X we draft with this 2018 pick is going to be considerably better than Kyrie Irving when it's all said and done? Like, chances are probably not right like if that player yeah whatever, whatever that pick becomes becomes the next lebron james fine you, know, you look back and say yeah we, we probably shouldn't have traded it but what are the odds that that actually happens not great they're not great and plus porzinga their roster construction all the salary they're committed to and porzingis's skill level prevents a bit of bottoming out right and they'll never too, finish right. with a first yeah they'll never finish with the first overall pick again exactly all right like it's just not going to happen, barring some crazy lottery luck. So it just makes sense to me. Uh, I mean, I don't know a ton of Knicks people to like bounce that off of, but I just think that you pay whatever price it takes, uh, and then figure it out later. It's like kind of the Daryl Morey uh, philosophy. Like, and by the end of these contracts for their the albatrosses on their team, they'll have the ability to flip those. Like expiring contracts are going to have value again really soon as the entire league lands in the luxury tax. So, so where are you at now on on this whole Kyrie situation? But before we move on, like now that it's been almost a week, you know, I assume it was panic at first, into sadness, into you know, rushing to the trade machine. Like, have, is there any excitement now where you're like, hey, you know, we're gonna we're gonna lose Kyrie in all likelihood, one you know, one of everyone's favorite players to watch, but there's a chance that we could end up getting an exciting young player or two that, that could end up making this team, you know, possibly better next season. Like, has that set in at all or is, is it still kind of crisis mode? Uh, it's just, all, it's all intellectual curiosity. It's 85% of intellectual curiosity, 15% kind of bummed out still. <laughs> I don't know. It's Fair just enough. like, you, you you just like watch old video of them interviewing together or like yep. you know throwing oops to each other and it's like damn these guys were perfect on court right. compliments for each other and um you know i do have a lot of intellectual curiosity about Kyrie's next move and what it means for the Cavs depending on what they get back because so i mean i've been pretty staunchly pro Kyrie uh, despite his very obvious warts i think he makes your team better and i think that a lot of the metrics that him don't do a good job of encapsulating who he is but when you've been fighting about Kyrie for five five six years now uh with people who with smart people who think he's not really that valuable um people that I respect that there's a degree of doubt that starts to kind of creep in your mind you know the what if they're right Mm -hmm. uh and I think if anything It'll be fun for everyone to find out how right they were after a move. You know, if he goes to the New York or to the Knicks and the Knicks uh, make the playoffs and look really, really good, then okay, we'll learn something. Um, if he goes to Minnesota and dribbles the air out of, the, or goes to Denver and dribbles the air out of the ball and won't let Jokic play make, and their defense gets even worse somehow, then we'll learn something. Uh, but we're going to have clarity on this on this sucker, I think, within the next three years if he gets dealt. And that, in its own way, is pretty uh, interesting and exciting in its own way. Is, you know, just figuring out who was right after the six-year argument. Well, I think it's going to go both ways, too. You know, obviously, we're going to see... 
we're basically going to get an answer to the question that Twitter has been battling over for, for the better part of the last three years in Kyrie personally, wherever he goes. But we're also going to see how this Cavs team looks without him. And that, that's where the Bledsoe thing is so intriguing to me because he's the type of point guard, I think, and a better version of the type of point guards that LeBron has had success with in the past, particularly in Miami. I mean, Mario Chalmers was, was a two-time you know, All-Big 12 defender. Uh, and yeah. Eric Bledsoe is obviously a much better offensive player than Chalmers. But those type of guys who, you know, who can guard both guard spots, who can give you offense when you need it, who can spot up and hit threes, but still defer to LeBron and willingly defer to LeBron when they're on the court together are the type of guys he's had success with. So uh, I think it's going to be really, really interesting to watch both of those dynamics, assuming Kyrie Irving is no longer on the Cavaliers come October. Yeah, it'll be really fun to see what kind of coach Ty Lue is in this moment, too. I mean, uh, so there are a lot of people that ding Lou for not having enough you know, creativity in his offense, which my counterpoint has been, where does the Cavs offense rank every year? <laughs> They're really, really good. And especially against the Warriors, doing a lot of cute stuff actually is kind of counterproductive because the Warriors just switch everything and blow up all your sets anyway. So you need to have bucket getters and building a, uh, an offense out of shooters and then high pick and roll with LeBron and Kyrie has worked really, really well. Um, but you now, you know, what is it? A necessity is the birth of invention or something like that, that expression. Like, that Lou will have to build different stuff into his offense without Kyrie there to, you know, ISO and run pick and roll. So it'll be a good test of everyone in the organization. It'll be a good test of Kevin Love, who you imagine's offensive role would expand with a lower usage player. So there's just a lot of factors here, and the, the basketball fan, and you can't help but be interested. All right, final thing on Kyrie. I promise this is the last. What is the reaction going to be, assuming he's traded, when he comes back to Cleveland for the first time? They're going to boo him. Uh, oh, you and, think so? I, I, oh. Honestly, I think you're right. It's disappointing, but I think you're right. And honestly, so any player who forces his way out of an organization is going to get booed by the fan base because they felt like they, he didn't want him. It's it's not like he just like left in free agency or, you know, he demanded a trade and those guys get booed uh, in just about every organization. And then two years from now, everyone will calm down and remember that he hit the biggest shot in franchise history and potentially NBA history and they'll love him again. But he'll get booed at first. All right. So the Cavs officially signed Derrick Rose earlier this week he's been their biggest offseason splash um so we'll, uh, excuse I'm, me chetty osman has been their biggest we're gonna, we're gonna get to chetty osman and <laughs> I, thank you for saying that because i was 100 percent about to call him seti osman yeah. uh but they, they have osman they, they brought in jeff green they signed jose calderon immediately. rose is obviously the biggest splash. right they signed calderon immediately uh when free agency opened there's going to be something involving Kyrie, so this roster is going to look a lot different uh, in a month or so than it does right now. But as is, you know, the, these little ancillary moves, how much have they really moved the needle? You know, you're basically replacing Darren Williams with Jose Calderon. You know, you're adding Jeff Green. Presumably Dante Jones is gone. Um, is James Jones' future still up in the air? Uh, no, he took the uh, vice president for basketball operations job in Phoenix. Oh, wow. I don't know so I missed that. So he's gone. Pretty enormous move. Yeah. Um, I mean, in some ways, like, not that I love Jeff Green, um, but James Jones really wasn't giving the Cavs anything. So I think you kind of have to look at that as an upgrade just because James or just because Jeff Green can play, you know, 20 yeah, minutes I mean, of NBA basketball. 
Yeah, they suddenly have like a little bit more depth just because right. they had they don't have like LeBron's buddies on the roster. Exactly. Like they spent last year with James Jones, Birdman, and then Mo Williams, who refused to retire but kind of wanted to retire but wouldn't accept a buyout. It was really weird. So he took up a roster spot all year or for half the year. So it was kind of this weird thing where just three the Cavs only had twelve guys that could actually play basketball on their roster. And that included Kay Felder, who also can't play basketball. And Der- uh, Derek Williams. Uh, well, Derek was a late addition. Derek was a late addition. Right. Um, and he actually was really good for them. He was, um, he of, was good during at the end of the regular season. And yeah. I mean, he was pretty much out of the rotation in the yeah. playoffs. Well, well, he was out of the rotation once they traded for Korver. Right. And, and signed Darren, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he was actually really, really quite fine for them. So uh, yeah, I mean, they definitely, they're probably... You know, it doesn't feel like a good off season, but uh, I think I think it was Justin Rowan who made the point. They're definitely better at the beginning of this year, assuming Kyrie's there, than they were at the beginning of last year. I think that's fair, and and I think you know, kind of what we talked about earlier with the Warriors colors the way that you view these off seasons. You know, like generally this Cavs team wouldn't you wouldn't you wouldn't look at this roster with three All Stars and LeBron James and say. Man, they didn't do enough this offseason to retool. Yeah. You know, like, well, something that I, I've been kind of talking to people at work that have asked me about is like, this is how the cap's supposed to work. Mm-hmm. This is like, they're not, nor, teams aren't normally allowed to sign Kevin Durant when they're this good. <laughs> like, the cap system is built to keep good teams from getting too much better uh, without some insane creativity or luck. Like, the Cavs are paying max salaries to Kyrie Irving, LeBron James, and Kevin Love. They don't have the money. Yep, exactly. I, I think, and they're not supposed to. That's not the way the system's supposed to work. So they have to operate on the margins. They have to take swings on guys like Derrick Rose, who might not be good anymore, but you know, maybe might rediscover some of their former juice. Uh, and you, that's what you have to do. Yeah, I mean, where are you at on the Rose signing? I think everything everything involving Derrick Rose is is immediately maligned these days, just because he is Derrick Rose. But when you're bringing in, you know, a guy like that, and you, you can call him former MVP, whatever, he's not, you know, the same player uh, that he was when he won the MVP. But compared to the other options out there, and for the price, like, I don't really see how this could go wrong. You know, unless Derrick Rose, the personality. Uh, you know, ha- has a lot of sway with this team, and I-, I don't think that'll really be the case, given that LeBron's there, and given that a lot of this team uh, is veterans. Um, what was your overall reaction, I guess, to the Rose signing? Um, I mean, I'm a little warmer on it than most, uh, even though the off-court stuff is pretty ugly. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there's concern that the stuff he does well requires him to have a high usage rate and to pound the ball and to attack a lot. Um, and when, when that gets dropped down, when you have to move off ball, the shooting becomes an enormous problem. The defense becomes an enormous problem. Uh, it went, you know, you can live with some of that when he's dominating the ball and getting to the rim and stuff. But if he's playing alongside LeBron, he doesn't get to have the ball. Sorry, man. You just, that's not part of your game anymore. Darren Williams had a really hard time adjusting to that. Um, and he's a much worse shooter than Derek, Darren Williams and a much worse defender. He's much better at in isolation at running the pick and roll uh, than Darren. But it, it kind of depends on the role he's willing to accept. You know, if he plays 15 to 20 minutes a game 
when LeBron sits and you know runs spread pick and roll and finds shooters in the corners, then all right, fine, this could work. But uh, it also could not work. Uh, but at the price, I think it was probably worth the try. Right. I think it felt like a little bit of a desperation move, especially coming on the heels of, of the, the Kyrie news. But like you said, at the price. Uh, yeah, if he's starting, it's case. a disaster. Right, right. <laughs> if he's well, your backup for 20 minutes a game, exactly. well, we'll see. It could still be bad. Well, I, I think he might start, right? I mean, there was a report yesterday that he didn't sign in L.A. because he, he like couldn't wrap his head around the idea of coming off the bench, which I took that to mean, at least for now, he's penciled in as the starter. Although See, that'll depend. Uh, I wouldn't take it that way. I think it's like he couldn't wrap his head around the idea of coming off the bench behind a rookie. Sure. Um, if it's Eric Bledsoe, he's not starting. Mm-hmm. You know, like no, true. true. Uh, I guess if they trade him for if they trade Irving for wings and not a point guard right. involved in the deal, I guess maybe he wouldn't start. But uh, he would start. But I just don't think the Cavs yeah. think of him that way. Um, and maybe I'm wrong. And maybe the Cavs are just a terrible front office <laughs> well but, i mean there's no way we, they, they sat down with derrick rose and promised him hey no, we're not trading no Kyrie for another point guard you know yeah no way um, so i think i um kobe altman hasn't earned any benefit of the doubt yet uh, he also really hasn't earned any goodwill so i'm just choosing to wait and see on that one man i didn't realize how brutal rose was from three last year yeah doesn't even take him doesn't take him anymore no he doesn't less than one attempt per game um i mean we talked about the type of point guards that lebron has succeeded alongside Uh, this is about the opposite yep that's a that's kind of an issue (laughs) but you know if he's just some instant offense and they and they cater to him he's kind of like rondo in the sense like you have if you're going to have him on your team when he's out there you have to kind of cater to him or it doesn't work yep 100 percent. you can't stash him in the corner so how much of Summer League were you able to watch, uh, Cavs or otherwise, and, and which rookies impressed you most out in Vegas? Uh, I didn't watch too closely. Uh, it's not really my my scene. Uh, I thought, I mean, I thought Tatum looked really nice, uh, though a lot of guys who make tough shots look good in Summer League. Mm-hmm. Jordan McRae looked really nice last year, so uh, yeah. guys like Selby. that. Yes, Josh Selby looks nice in Summer League, so that was cool. Lonzo looked fun kind of the kind of guy that makes people have fun playing basketball and the kind of passing that was infectious, which was cool. Uh, Kyle Kuzma was really, really good for the Lakers. I was really stunned because that he wasn't, he didn't have the rep as a shooter and he really, really looked good. I I was pretty blown away by Dennis Smith jr. Uh, I was kind of confused why he fell as far as he did in the draft. And I felt kind of justified and feeling that way. Um, But you know, it is that kind of thing where you have to take, stuff with a grain of salt mm-hmm. uh you know markel fultz did not look good uh in vegas look good in orlando or good look good in utah before he got hurt um but yeah it's kind of a weird it's a weird read and it's hard to tell what's real and what's not uh, i try to mostly use it as a i try not to use good play as a differentiator as much as bad play when i right. watch uh i if you can't survive in summer league then that's not a good indicator but then again, Malcolm Brogdon shot like 32% yeah. uh, last year, and he won Rookie of the Year uh, in the worst rookie class I've seen in a long time. But still, he was a good player. Uh, so it's a weird league. Um, it has value, but I'm not sure what that value is sometimes. Well, I, I think it's worse when non-rookies play poorly in Summer League. Like like Marquise Chris and Dragon Bender both shot like 35% 
from the floor in Vegas. Like that to me is a little bit concerning when you yeah, have second especially year guys. Chris, who, you Chris wanna, played like eighty NBA games last year. Yeah, yeah. You want to the the guys that come back. You want to have the the. I mean, it's the Twitter reaction of he does not belong right. here anymore. Moment. Mm-hmm. You want. I mean, uh, you want him to look like Jalen Brown looked. Well, Jalen Brown in his first game, the rest of them, he didn't look that good to me. Yeah, (laughs) I I think he ended up getting hurt, but right. Yeah, I mean, just the assertiveness. Even like Jalen Brown was running point guard for that team. Like, that's the type of thing you want to see. I I mean, Brandon Ingram, I thought, looked awesome before. I think he only played one or two games. Um, But yeah, I I think that, you know, if you come back for your second or your third summer league and you don't stand out in one way or another, that's a big red flag, which is Rashad Vaughn playing in his third summer league for Milwaukee was basically in that danger zone. Yeah, he had that one game where he scored like 40, though, right? Yeah, I think he had yeah, 36, 38, yeah. something like that. Um, he was yeah, he's nasty. Looked, he's looked god-awful in, in NBA action, but yeah. that was well, encouraging nonetheless. Um, well, yeah, when you're drafting like the, you know, the 12 to 20 range, it's just always a crapshoot. So give me the pronunciation again on Osman. Chetty. Chetty Osman. Please tell me... And tell the listeners who Chetty Osman is and what to expect from Chetty Osman this season. Um, so he is a uh, a young wing in uh, Turkey, uh, or he's Turkish. Uh, he played in uh, yeah he played in Turkey last year. Uh, he is I think about twenty twenty one years old, six uh, eight, rangy athlete, um, good in transition, uh, good defender, really switchy. Um, physical at the point of attack he's not an elite nba athlete but he's a good nba athlete uh he is an okay shooter he's got a nice looking stroke but it's not super consistent so i think if he's trying to get minutes uh in his rookie year the jumper is just going to have to be on uh or he's not going to get to play enough because lebron just demands that from his from his wings and his and the Cavs are suddenly really stocked on the wing like if you look at it they've got jr lebron corver shumpert jeff green richard jefferson and now chetty um and honestly they, i they keep Kyrie. i think they might use do some two-point guard lineups with rose and uh Kyrie, which are going to be a defensive tire fire but i think they might try it uh and that means it's gonna chetty jay's gonna have to earn his minutes um but i mean he has a chance to if, if he can shoot because his defense is there his athleticism is there and uh, his ability to run, run and transition is there, uh, but I mean he is uh, he is still a prospect. He's young. Um, this isn't like a Nikola Mirotic who is kind of ready made. Uh, I think it's going to be a minute before he starts getting regular minutes in the rotation. All right, let's finish out with a round of rapid fire questions. Uh, most of these will pertain to the NBA. Some of them will cross over uh, into other sports. But we will start with give me your team that you think most dramatically improved this offseason? It's got to be the Timberwolves, um, just because Jimmy Butler is amazing. Um, and I think the Rockets are up there, too. Uh, both those teams are have done some really good work. Okay. I actually have a Rockets question on here, so we'll go to that one next. Will the Rockets' record be better or worse than last season after adding Chris Paul? I think it'll be the same. I think it'll be that's not a that's not a regular season addition. They're going to have to work out some kinks, but mm-hmm. I think they'll be better when it matters. Which team will have the worst record in the NBA next season? Ah, <sighs> uh, that's tough. Uh, the Brooklyn Nets. 
I think that's a safe choice. Brooklyn's going to be uh, bad. I think they're going to be bad gonna again. Be really I think bad. they'll. I think Brooklyn's going to miss Brook Lopez more yeah. than they think they do. Um, I think Atlanta's going to be better than they should be because they their coach and system are good and they just win games they shouldn't win. Uh, I think that the Lakers are. Lakers might be really bad again unless Lonzo's an all-star yeah. kind of player. I, the Lakers will be fun, but I think they're going to lose a lot of close they're, games. Yeah, they're going to be they're going to be bad. Uh, and then the Bulls are going to be yeah. a disaster. The Bulls might be. I'm switching my answer okay. to the Bulls. The Bulls, Bulls are, are the Bulls are my team that I could see opening the year like 0 and 15. Yep. I mean they're not going to get Levine back until you would think December, January at the earliest. And Chris Dunn hasn't looked ready. Like there's just nobody on that roster who you can give the ball to to score right now. Yep, it's ugly. Uh, all right, favorite Cavs uniforms of all time. Oh, um, I like the the they were they wore them in LeBron's first era. They were these blue, uh, these Cavs blue jerseys, like light blue, uh, with gold font. Uh, and I just it was kind of like a script font. I, I really liked those. I don't know why. I just were, I was very partial to them. So do those say, does that say Cleveland on it? And it almost has they like, say a, Caval- like a They say Cavaliers. Okay. I don't know which one you're talking about. Light blue. I mean, I'm, not, I'm thinking of the alternates they used to wear that were dark blue that kind of had the like checkered trim around the outside. Yeah. But no, not, not, not those. those. I, I, I'm, off, I'm off hunting for a picture. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Maybe we'll have to tweet that out with the podcast uh, sure. after we edit. Well, what are your thoughts on the new uniforms? Alleged, uh, not- alleged new uniforms. Not a huge fan, but also I don't really. I'm not a big uniform really? guy. Okay, I, 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 I don't. Uniform. I don't okay. buy jerseys. Oh, really? Yeah, I think okay. uh, I have this theory that when white people uh, buy basketball jerseys, it looks like they think they can play in the on the team when they wear them, <laughs> and I I always just feel ridiculous when I wear them. I just think they don't suit me. Like I'll buy a, I'll buy an NFL jersey. I'll buy a hockey sweater. I just don't look good in basketball uniforms. I feel the complete jerseys. opposite. Like I, I kind of collect jerseys, um, basketball jerseys, but like I, I will not wear an NFL jersey. Maybe it's just my body style. I don't know. I'm, yeah. I'm smaller, and every time I put on uh, an NFL jersey, the sleeves are hanging down to my wrist. <laughs> I got, I got, I got a long wingspan, so maybe that's why I don't. The the jerseys aren't a problem for me. So, are you a Browns fan? I'm a Cowboys fan, actually. Cowboys fan. Okay. Uh, yeah, my. Uh, my parents once again don't really care about sports sure. and uh my friend who got me into football was a cowboys fan gotcha so i've been there i've had all the negative stuff of being a Cowboys fan <laughs> with none of the positives because i've only seen them win like two right. playoff games well that's the thing it's like i mean i don't know how old how old you are but i'm i'm 24 and you know i'm, I'm 26 told, 20 okay so relatively similar like we've been told our entire lives that the cowboys are america's team and like when i think cowboys my mind goes to like quincy carter or Terry yep. Glenn, like I don't, I don't, we don't remember Troy Aikman or any of those. No, great I don't Cowboys at all. Teams. I, did, I didn't start watching that then, mm. so I just remember the, the the crappy teams mostly. But it's been they're at least interesting, and I always get coverage of my team, so that's nice. Are the Cowboys your Super Bowl prediction? Uh no, no, I, I haven't, I, I haven't looked or thought about football enough to have an official one. But I, I think they're probably due for some regression next year, and that's okay. Sure. I'm actually a Jags fan, so no, I'm I, sorry. I think they're due for some progression after six straight years, I think, of double-digit losses. Just um, karmically. Right. You would think, uh, but that, that has not happened yet. And it's nice to meet the, the Jags fan the Jags of America. Fan. The Jags fan the of Wisconsin, one. right. Um, 
Let's see. Who is the third best team in the Eastern Conference after Cleveland and Boston? Um, Toronto. I think that they've had actually a really nice offseason. I think so, and too. I'm, I, and they, they if were I'm in a, a really Rap- tough spot. And if I'm a Raptors fan, I'm ecstatic they ran it back, especially with the Cavs looking right. so fragile. Like, what are exactly. you doing? Why are people selling right now? Like, <laughs> this could be the moment you could finally break through, like if LeBron leaves after after this year. So kudos to them for running it back. And they might make a finals. It's actually possible, which is crazy. Oh, it's totally possible. I, I feel like the the Gordon Hayward edition in Boston has been slightly overhyped. Like Gordon Hayward's really good, but Gordon Hayward is a one time all star. It's not like they added Kevin Durant to that team. Like I don't I don't think Boston is suddenly invincible if something were to happen to this Cleveland team. Yep, they could lose. Um and uh I think that the Wizards and Raptors are gonna be glad they didn't blow it up. If you could make one rule change to the current NBA, what would it be? Uh, eliminate foul outs. I don't think we need foul outs. Okay. I, uh, if a- after your sixth foul, I think that it should be treated as a technical foul. So if you foul them after, after your sixth foul, they get free throws and the ball. So that, so instead of removing, let's say a superstar from the game, it's now a, a calculated risk mm-hmm. for that coach to leave their guy in, uh, because a foul obviously becomes devastating down the stretch uh, after six, as opposed to right. just they're out. No, I, 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 I like that. I like. I think that adds a strategic element to the game, and I never have to watch a game without like LeBron or Steph in it because <laughs> exactly. of a, an arbitrary bad blocking call. No, I like that a lot. I think it would add intrigue and add a lot of fun earlier in games too. Because the problem now is, you know, if LeBron picks up his third foul early in the second quarter, you're not seeing He's him done. Again until the third. Like, yeah, obviously there's ramifications if he gets to foul number four or foul number five later in the game. But where we really lose those guys is when they get those early fouls and don't play almost and an entire second quarter. Right? Yeah, exactly. And I, I think in this case, there wouldn't be much of an incentive to sit a player who has two or three fouls. Yeah, totally. So. I, I like that system. I think it's a good fix, and I don't really see the downside. All right, who's your prediction for Rookie of the Year? Uh, I think it's going to be... Uh, it's a really good class. It is. I will go with an interesting pick and say Dennis Smith Jr. I think he's going to get the ball a lot. I think it's going to add up for him, too. Like him and Fox are in the best situations, I think, to win it. But I don't think Fox, Fox, now that they signed George right. Hill... And Vince Carter, like they added all these vets, yeah. they're going to need shots in the ball, right? Um, well, they claim they're going to start him together with Hill. I don't know how that's going to yeah. work. We'll I don't know. I just think that uh, I think I think Smith makes a lot of sense. I think mm-hmm. Ball makes a lot of sense. Fultz or Simmons will probably split their own right. vote. So yeah, I'll, I'll go. With, I'll go Smith. Yeah, I think Dallas is just like a perfectly positioned team to produce a Rookie of the Year award winner because like they're not going to be terrible. You know, like the Mavs aren't going to win eighteen games. They're going to be good enough that like they can maybe hang around like that eight nine spot if Smith plays well. He's going to play thirty five minutes a game. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yep. Um, so you already, I guess, you outed yourself as not being a Jersey guy. But one question that that I always ask everybody is, what is the best Jersey, NBA or otherwise, that you currently own or owned as a child? um mo williams cavaliers oh good pick do you have any random jerseys uh, i have a des bryant jersey oh, that a friend nice. gave me as a gift and that's it is that cowboys or okay state 
Cowboys. Okay. Well, both of those teams are Cowboys. Oh, true. Yeah, trick question. Um, uh, but yeah, Dallas Cowboys. Okay. Let's uh, let's finish out on a high note. Who is your favorite obscure Cavaliers player of all time? And, and if you need to, you can name two or three because there were plenty to choose from. Uh, I, I guess it depends on how obscure we're going. Uh, Andy Varejao was my hero for a minute. Okay, I don't. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna step in and say he's not quite obscure enough. Okay, not obscure. He looks enough. like he'd be obscure, but I think he was too good to be obscure. Okay, I have my answer. Okay, Luke Walton. Oof. The one Very summer, good. the one year he he combined on a bench with the, the it was during the pre pre return era. The Cavs had a bench. That was C.J. Miles, Sean Livingston, uh, Luke Walton, Maurice Spates, and uh, and there's one more that I'm missing. Regardless, it was that that group. Yeah, and, I'm gonna have to bleep this yeah, out. I yeah, think. Yeah, they ran a they ran a five they ran a five man bench unit that had that if it were like the le- over the course of the league, it would have been like the third best offensive rating in the league. Like this, this entirely benched unit full of completely washed up guys, and Luke Walden had an assist rate of like sixty percent that year. <laughs> it was amazing. That whole that whole post uh, decision era for four years is just like a haze of random role players. Like I'm, I'm a lot looking at, of weird stuff. Yeah, I'm looking at the guys who were on this team in like 2012 and 13. Like Kevin Jones, I totally forgot he even existed. Jeremy Pargo. Uh, Jeremy, the Pargo sanity. There was a stretch where he scored like four games in a row of like twenty five points or more, and like Cavs fans were just losing their mind. Was he was he a Gonzaga guy? Is that right? Um, I don't remember. I'm not a big college guy okay. for the most part. God, Manny Harris. Oh, uh, Wayne Wayne Ellington was the yes. fifth on that of that bench unit. Wow. They had a they they played 121 minutes together. At Livingston, Ellington, Miles, Walton, Spades. They had an offensive rating of 107.4. Dear God. That's really good, dude. They had Sebastian Telfair for they one game. They did have Bassey for for a little bit. It says he played and four B- minutes. Incredible. Jamario Moon, man. This Baron is, Davis. Baron Davis. Was didn't he? That was the point was, in his career where he had started wearing like number eighty five. Yeah, he wore eighty five and yeah. and had like a weird rebirth after he got he salary did. dumped to Cleveland. He was really really good for them uh, for like half a season. Did he tear his ACL with Cleveland or was that with New York? It was with New York. I, I love Baron Davis. He was yeah, me one too. of my probably five or six favorite players ever. Yeah. Um, okay, well, this was a good way to end. I mean, we could probably go another 20 or 30 minutes just breaking down the, the Ben Uzos and the, the Anton <laughs> Jameson eras uh, of Cleveland basketball. But that's all I have for you. Um, any, anything else? Any, any Cavs-related things you want to touch on? Anything you want to plug? Uh, I think I'm good. Just head to fearthesword.com for uh, Cavs coverage. Uh, please subscribe to the Chase Down Uh uh, the, of part of Almighty Baller Network. That's the weekly podcast I do with Justin Rowan. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Carter underscore Shade. All right. Yeah. Make sure to give your co host Justin a follow as well. All the Fear the Sword guys do a lot of fun stuff over at that website uh, and especially on Twitter. Carter, really appreciate you taking the time again, man. For sure. Have a good one, man. happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. 
The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com